He is risen. Yeah, see, as I, as I mentioned the last time I was here, you can actually say that every week because it's true every week. It's not just true on Easter. It's true every single week. He is risen. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Uh, my name is Michael. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Well, let's try that again. So some of you, I'm not going to call you out, but some of you know that the proper response to this is I say my name and I say I'm a sinner saved by grace and you say, hello, Michael. So let's do this again. This is a, this is an interactive. The entire sermon is kind of a parable. Hi, I'm Michael, a sinner saved by grace. Ah, oh, great. This is going to be a great meeting. I'm going to have lead chair today. Uh, for those of you who know what's happening, you will, you will play along. Uh, let's stand. Now I have, I just want to let everybody know that I'm on the clock. Okay. I spoke to Eli last week. We went out to eat and Eli stopped me at the door and said, Hey man, um, your sermons are too long. And I'm like, Oh my word. That's like, what can I do? How can I help you better? And he, we've been going back and forth for the last week. And so I checked with him right before I came up and I was like, how long? Should it, should a good sermon be? And he thought about it and went back and forth. And finally he's told me 55 minutes. So don't worry. It will be no longer than 55 minutes because I aim to please, uh, please, uh, rise, uh, for the reading of God's word this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. I got you, Eli. Uh, hear, hear the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that many members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
And God has appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles and gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have preserved two of the likely four letters that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Father, this was a church... In crisis, this was a church that was having a lot of difficulty applying the gospel within its walls. And Father, we thank you that you provide us a reminder of the importance of each one of us who you are knitting together in Christ, who is our head. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're going to talk about community. The big question is, what is community? Is community a group of people who all like or do the same thing? Is that a community? Maybe community is everybody who likes cornhole and likes to play cornhole. Like you're in the, maybe you're in like the cornhole community or you're in a, like a knitting guild and maybe you consider that a community. Uh, maybe sports, maybe sports, the sports teams are a community. I was in, uh, I don't even know where I was, but I, I was, I was in some store the other day and I was wearing my Washington football team jersey, right? And I, I, I yes, I was wearing my Washington football team jersey and I walked by and some guy yelled at me, it's the Redskins. And I didn't know. I was like just trying to buy some groceries. And I said, excuse me? It's the Redskins. I'm like, uh, I don't understand what you're saying. He's like, well, everybody's woke trying to change the name. And they want commanders. I'm never going to call it the commanders. I'm only going to call it the Redskins. I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to buy some milk, man. Like, it's just like, right? But e- so even within like this sports team, people have found a reason to like have conflict around the same sports team, around what they want to call themselves. Maybe it's political parties, right? Maybe you find that your community is your political party until you start debating with other people who are in your same political party and then you realize, oh, that person's too progressive, not progressive enough, too conservative, not conservative enough. And you see this in the primaries every year where the the people in the middle get voted out and we get more extreme. And then we're like, well, why can't we have unity? Why can't we have bipartisanship? Why won't people work together in Washington? I don't know. Maybe it's because you beat over the head every single person who tried to work with the other side. And we wonder why isn't there unity in Washington? Maybe we could all agree that our community is America. Right? Not America, but America. Right? We all love America. America is unity. Love it or leave it. Except love it or leave it isn't the same as e pluribus unum. Right? Out of many, one. America, love it or leave it, isn't the same as united we stand, divided we fall. See what's happened? But at least we have the church, right? The church is united. The church is totally united. I hear people laughing out loud. 
But why is that? Why is it that the church, the very thing that God created to mirror him in the world is not reflecting Christ into the world, but we are, we are basically reflecting the world back into the church. And the church is divided. And America is fracturing. And the church is fracturing. And America is polarizing. And the church is polarizing. And why is that? Before you blame somebody else, I want to just put this out there. That the problem is us. That we, in our nature, kind of crave division. We kind of crave disunity. We, we tend to move towards it. We're prone to division. But real unity, real unity comes from Christ. Real unity comes from Christ. You might say that this unity that comes from Christ is in fact the hope of Christ. This church, over the last four or five months, has been the most amazing picture of unity, of coming together in the midst of unbelievable sorrow and hardship and saying to the Bailey family, we got this. You need protection now. You need help now, and we got you. And so, as you hear this message, I don't want you to hear this message as it's like an indictment of this church. This this letter is written as a critique and an indictment of a church that Paul planted, right? But it is helpful for all of us to see in this letter the very things that can creep into a church, that can cause it to divide. Paul writes early on uh, to this to this church that he planted, right? Paul, church planter extraordinaire. If if there is a book that is encouraging to church planters, it's First Corinthians, because Paul has written a letter about how completely messed up the church that the greatest church planter ever can have. So much so that it took multiple letters of him saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this thing? And this is encouraging. Here, here's what he writes. He says, I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree that there should be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is this, that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? He goes right after them, right after his greeting. The very first thing is he's like, you guys are a mess. And so when we read 1 Corinthians, the thing that we want to make sure that we understand is everything Paul is talking about has to do with healing the divisions that are in the church. 
Because what he wants, what he's trying to convey is that the church is supposed to be this ideal picture of unity. Like God is. The Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Totally one, yet each person of the Trinity is an individual person. Unique in what they are called to do, in how they serve the Godhead. But they are not totally separate. They are one. You can't separate out one from the other, but yet they are unique. We, we could go on for weeks and weeks and, and fill volumes of books talking about the nature of the Trinity because people way smarter than me have tried to describe it, have tried to understand it. But I'm going to give you the crash course in understanding the Trinity. It is not understandable. Right? It just is what it is. It is God in three persons, blessed Trinity. That's it. That's that's our description of, of how that works. It's a beautiful picture of unity. And that's what Paul wants the church to be. He says... In verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, all were baptized into one body. Jews are Greek, slaves are free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And if you're counting, that's one, two, three, four, five, six times Paul has said one. Paul is telegraphing what is important to him, and that is that there is unity, that there is this beautiful symphony playing of people's ethnic backgrounds, Jews and Greeks, their their kind of cultural backgrounds, whether they're slaves or free, that all are one, that there is no division, they're all they're all one, they're all baptized into the same Christ. And then they have various gifts. Various talents woven together to make them one. How many of you have ever gone to see a symphony concert? Or a band concert? Or your kids band concert? Okay, so let's just talk. There is a small difference, tiny, between going to hear the, shall we say, the Washington Philharmonic Symphony, or the Marine Corps Band, and hearing the seventh grade band play their first concert. (laughs) There is a small gap. Small gap. Tuning, being in tune, staying in tune, staying on tempo. You know, that's an extra bonus that we don't always get with the seventh grade band. Because they're still learning. They're still trying to figure it out. But if that were to happen, say, with the Marine Corps band, we would say, what on earth is going on here? Like, you, you, what, what are you doing here? Are you playing your own tune? Are you doing anything? And if you've even gone to like a, a, a symphony and you get there early enough, you can hear them tuning up. Right? And the tuning up sounds odd. If you've ever listened to an oboe tune, you're like, do we really need that instrument? Like, does that instrument really actually have to be here? And unfortunately, the church most of the time feels like maybe the seventh grade band 
or the symphony when it's warming up rather than the beautiful picture that we're supposed to be. Why? Because we're, we're broken. We're, we're not whole. We're, we're not, we're not there. And Paul understands this, but Paul wants them to understand that this is the picture. They're supposed to have this ideal picture of unity. But then Paul says, now let's talk about the reality of discord. The things that are working against unity. I would propose that there are three statements that Paul makes in here that talk about the the reality of our tendency to discord. And, And look at what he says. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Now see if you can resonate with this. This is effectively what Paul's saying. Listen, if you are saying, I am not needed, these people do not need me, I have no value, I don't really even belong here, you are wrong. And so the question is, how could that be? How could it be that Paul is starting off, he starts off by addressing people who think they don't belong in the church? They're somehow un- unnecessary. They're, they're made to feel like they're, they're not needed. And so they're like, I, I guess I'm not important and I'll just go away. Maybe you, maybe the way we learn this is in junior high school. Right? Junior high school is often a cafeteria of trying to figure out what reasons people can communicate to you that you have something wrong with you and you don't belong. And then social media came around and like amplified it by a thousand. You can just watch reels all day of people who are amazing and how you're not. It gets communicated and it gets brought into the church. But here's what you need to know. If that's, if that's what's happening in your head, or that's what's happening in the words that you're hearing, you need to hear this. Jesus Christ came and died for you. The Father sent his precious Son to die for you. So the answer to the question, am I needed? Am I valuable? The answer is absolutely you are. Christ came and died for you and made you a part of his body. So you are absolutely positively needed. Here's the other thing he's saying. And maybe you've known people like this. (laughs) I don't need those people. I can do this myself. Totally self-sufficient. Need to hang around with those people there. Just a drag on my ability to be awesome. Maybe you've worked for people like this. Right, this idea that they don't need me, I'm not a part of the body, now has changed from I'm not a part of the body because I'm deficient in somehow to I'm not a part of the body because I'm so amazing, I need to leave. 
Kind of like Rod Stewart left Faces, the band that's for you older people. Right? You get these bands back in the 70s. They make a couple hits. And they'd be like, yeah, you know, you are awesome. The rest of these people, not so much. And we have those people in the church. And the answer to that question is also Christ. Because if you were self-sufficient, if you were able to do it all by yourself, you wouldn't need Christ. Christ wouldn't need to come for you. But he did because you're not self-sufficient. You can't make it on your own. You need Christ. He completes us. We're not omnificient. Or maybe, as Paul says, he says, that would not make it any less of the part of the body. The eye also cannot say to the hand, even though it wants to, I have no need of you. This is the first or the third contradiction of unity where the church, it is the church and people in the church that are communicating, we don't need you, you should leave. So we've got people in their own heads saying, they don't need me, I should leave. We have people communicating and thinking in their heads, I am so amazing, I don't want to be around those people. And you have people saying, you know what, we don't need you. You're not helpful here. All three of these things working against unity. And unity is critically important to what Paul is trying to convey. You've all heard this, you know, this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember when I was much, much younger and I was on a softball team, every time I would get up to bat, I'd say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and I will hit a home run. And then I didn't. I'm like, what's going on, man? Right? We think that like, oh, well, with Christ, we can just do anything. But that's a misunderstanding of that verse, isn't it? Right to, to think that like, oh, because we have Christ, there's literally nothing we can't do. That's not what that means. It means I can, I can make it through this life. I can do everything. I can do everything that I need to do. I can do it through Christ. Now bear with me. What is Christ's representative on the earth? What is it? Come on. The church. Could we say, I can do all things with the, with the church who strengthens me? You should ask the Baileys that question. Where would some of us be without the church when we're in times of need? And we don't know if we can get out of bed in the morning. And we don't know if we can go to work. And we don't know if we can even function. And the church is there for us. Because we need the church. We're put together by the church. So here's just a few quick realities. One, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. Because it's the body. And yet it is about you. Because you're needed. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, if you're trying to walk away, no, you, you, you can't. We, we need you here. You need to come back. We need you. But it is, in fact, all about God. It's all about God knitting together his church. So this book is probably my favorite book on eldering and shepherding. 
It is written by a guy who was told by his church, we do not need you. It is called Bring Them Back Alive. The first book he wrote was called When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. He was in a church in, in, in Texas. He's a, uh, he's a wonderful theologian who, uh, his day job is actually being an ESPN sports director, right? But he gets it. They had a baby. And the baby was born with a severe birth defect to its brain. Wasn't completely formed. And so the doctors told them, you know, your child will maybe live a week or two. But no one told the child that. And so the child lived. They left the hospital. They started going back to church. And after they had gone to church, you know, three or four times, they went down to the nursery one day. And the nursery workers greeted them at the door and said, hey, um, you, you can't bring your child to nursery anymore. They said, well, why? Well, here's the thing. So if your baby dies in the nursery, the nursery workers are all going to feel really bad. It's going to be very traumatizing for them. So we don't want your baby in the nursery. And they did what any person would do. They said, well, you know, that's okay because we understand our baby's going to die. It, we know it's a, it's a known fact that this is going to happen. It could happen at any time. We just need the rest. They're like, yeah, but we will feel bad. And so then they said, well, you know, we're going to go talk to the pastor about this. And they said, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. We've already talked to the pastor. And he told us that we could tell you this. So he wrote this book called When Bad Christians Happen to Good People. And in it, he said the kind of things that you would think a very angry parent would say. The second book is Bring Him Back Alive. And here, here's what he writes. He says, we Christians, however, are often too willing to take the easy way out and leave our brothers and sisters behind. But surely the love of God is liberating grace. His commitment to his bride, the church, gives us no choice but to care about and seek the lost and the wandering, the wounded and the abandoned lambs. It is my prayer that as Christians, we will come to the conviction that we must never abandon members of the flock. We are to uh, pursue those who have been hurt or who have made, made bad decisions and we are responsible to restore them to health and not compound their in, their injuries by what we say to them. We have a call to seek those wandering lambs with the overwhelming love of Jesus. I am going to challenge you to prayerfully ask God to give you the desire to seek comfort and to bring them back alive. He's like, if you're wondering why the church is limping around and isn't hitting on all cylinders, it's actually because we've told people we don't need you right now. Go away. Who needs a heal? That's what you're just a heal. You should just go away. We'll be fine without you. We'll be fine without a big toe. We don't really need a big toe. It's kind of weird. Gunk gets stuck in between it and the next toe. So we'd just be better off without it. And it sounds insane. But yet this is the thing that people hear from the church. People from the outside world who come into the church looking for a place to belong hear that somehow there's a measuring up. But look at what scripture does. In, in 1 Samuel 22, David, King David, is on the run from Saul. Saul wants to kill him. And Saul has something David does not have. An army. A trained and magnificent army and a fighting force. And David has just been, uh, 
you know, acting crazy in front of a king. And then he leaves there in chapter 22 and he goes to the cave at Adullam. And now what David needs more than anything in the world is he's going to need an army to defeat this guy. And the Lord sees he needs an army. And so here's what it says. It says, And David departed from there and escaped to the cave at Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down to him there. Oh, good, I'm going to get an army. And everyone who is in distress and everyone who is in debt and everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him there and he became commander over them and there were about 400 men. David, you're going to need an army. I got just the people for you. They're in distress, they're in debt, and they're bitter in soul. Have a great time. These become David's mighty men. But imagine if he's like, what are you doing? Go away. I, I don't need you people. Think about the people that Jesus chose. Right? He went immediately into the synagogues and was like, who are the smartest people here? I, I need the top ranking, rank, ranking religious leaders. I need the strongest people on my team. No. Fisher dude. Take two of you. Tax guy up in the tree. Take you. You wandering on the side of the road, Daryl, take you, you come on. Wait, that's not how you, that's how you build a force. What is he doing? And then think about this. Think about once he's assembled these people and now they're, they've seen amazing miracles, right? Imagine that you're like Peter and, and John and James and, and Thaddeus and you see this amazing thing. And you're like, oh my word, we're on the greatest team ever. Ever, I can't believe he picked us. This is this is awesome. Oh man, we got to get more people in on this thing. Enter the Syrophoenician woman. Mark chapter seven. Syrophoenician comes in. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. She's like, "Hey, I've got a I've got a daughter. She's got a demon. Uh, can you please heal her?" Jesus says something very odd to her. He says, "Yeah, you know." Um, right now I'm busy feeding the children and it's not right to give, uh, you know, food intended for the children to dogs. Well, did you just call a Syrophoenician woman a dog? Yes, I did. Why would Jesus do that? Because he knows what the disciples are thinking. See, he knows the disciples are thinking she's a dog. So he just says it out loud because that's what they're thinking. They're in the, in the inner circle now, but we don't want Syrophoenician women. They, they won't be helpful here. And her response is this. Even dogs get crumbs from the master's table. And he says, your daughter's healed. Your faith has made you well. Then you have the woman at the well. Right? They're walking along and Jesus is like, hey, let's go to Samaria. His disciples are like, dude, I don't know if you got the memo or not, but we don't go there. That's not a place we go. We don't want to be seen with those people. He's like, no, we're going. Hey, oh, hey, see that woman at the well? No, hey, listen, Rabbi, let me tell you, if she's at the well right now in the middle of the day, there's like a 900% chance she's a little dicey. You're going to want to keep your distance. Jesus goes right up to her. And she then goes and gets the rest of the ostracized people that the Jews have said, we don't want you, and goes to them and says, come and meet the man who told me all about myself, and I think he's the one. He's calling us to worship with him. 
And then just before Jesus dies, he's coming out of Jericho and he comes by a blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus. And James and John have just come to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, you know, we've kind of done a lot of things for you. You should do whatever we say. Jesus says, whoa, what do you what do you need me to do for you? Like, well, if we could sit in your right and left hand, that would be awesome. Jesus is like a week away from being dead at this point. And I imagine he's thinking, okay, uh, Lord, Father, um, I, this is where I'm at right now with these two bozos asking for leadership. Like, do they get it? So he gives them a little teaching time and they leave. And then there's this guy on the side of the road named Bartimaeus and he's yelling, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. And what do the disciples do? They've just been corrected. You know what they do? They say, hey, shh, shh, he's not here for you. He's got important things to do. Shh, quiet. Bartimaeus is like, son of David, son of David, hey, over here, me, help me. He says, yeah, go get that guy. Go get him. And they go up to him. This is perfect for the disciples. Hey, guess what? He wants to talk to you. And I imagine Bartimaeus, who's blind, can recognize the voices. He's like, didn't you just tell me to shut up? (laughs) What are you doing? And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, I'm a blind beggar on the side of the road. So if you could fix that, it'd be great. And I just always imagine Jesus looking right at his disciples going, that's the answer I'm looking for right here. I need this guy. And this is the church, right? Sometimes I think we see the church more like uh, a Super Bowl football team than the Boy Scouts, right? The Boy Scouts are different than a Super Bowl football team because the Boy Scouts, anybody gets to play. Nobody sits on the bench. Any nerdy kid who likes to whittle and do things with wires and knots can be a Boy Scout. That's amazing. And that is awesome. And, and, and we love that picture of inclusion. We love that picture of inclusion. And those of you who are in the military know that this, what this is like. You know, some people are, end up being Navy SEALs. You know, they're strong, big, fighters they just in the elite class or they're army rangers they're in the elite class or they're marines and they're well marines um <laughs> right i don't even get a ura on that okay very good uh my dad is a marine uh so this this idea right of of who's the strongest who's the best who's the fastest you're out you're forward deployed in fallujah and then your commander says hey uh <clears throat> We told all the IT guys to go home for a week. Uh, there'll be no satellite coverage, no pictures, no electronic intel. You're just kind of on your own. Oh, whoa, 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 wait. Where's nerdy guy from high school? Like, I need that guy. I need, I need the things that he does. Right? So people in the military, we, we, we get this. We get what unity is. And so Paul is giving us this picture, this picture of the importance of unity. But when he's knitting together the body, it doesn't look the way we think it does. We, we build different ideas for what is the in. And we do it in our own denomination. We talk about good reformed people. 
right? We, we want to say that we're in the PCA, not the OPC, the EPC, the UPC, the URCNA, the CRC, the URC, the RPCNA, the RPCES, the PCUSA, ECO, because why? Because we're one and we're united. <laughs> we just need to make sure that everybody's good and reformed, like our kind of reformed. Here's what the gospel is. Here's who gets to be included. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Here's what's required. We admitted that we were powerless over sin and that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that God could restore us to sanity. That's number two. Number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. Does that sound like the gospel to you? Yes? Does it sound like anything else? Anyone? It's an AA meeting. This is what AA people say to each other. They're admitting that their motto should be, our motto should be, look what the Christ dragged in. You. Christ dragged you in. You didn't come willingly. You didn't become because you were talented. Christ dragged you in. Because he needed you and he needed you here. And this is what, this is the third and the final point, which really will not take that long. And that is the hope of sum bibazzo. Say that word with me. Sum bibazzo. Let's try it again. Sum bibazzo. Here's what this word means. Knit together. This is what he says. God arranged the members in the body. God is so composed the body. God appointed the members of the church. God chose you. Christ drug you in. Christ is knitting our church together to proclaim the gospel. When Jesus prays in John 17, you know what he prays for? The ragtag band of guys trying to figure it out that they will be united. Because he says, if they can't stay together, there is no way anybody believes the gospel. If a religious zealot and a tax collector can't work together for the gospel, they're never going to believe the gospel. So they have to be united. Our unity is required for making disciples, for teaching them, for valuing them. Look at what he says. He says that he composed the body so that those who may be weaker are indispensable. And for caring, for caring for one another. It says, if all suffer together, uh, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This past year, has been the most excruciatingly painful, confusing, difficult year for my wife and I ever. Because we have a child in crisis. And it is nearly impossible. And the Baileys and this church have blessed us so much when we have felt like giving up It has been unbelievable. So thank you. We are all part of the same body. We all need each other. And here's what Paul's going for. We should all desire to be a whole body because you want to know the the pain of, of, of what it feels like to lose a member of the body? 
Live every day wondering if your daughter is going to die or not. Or imagine living every day knowing that your daughter has died. And the prayer that you have is bring her back. I need my heart and soul back. That is part of my body. I need it. I can't live without it. And we should feel the same way about every single person because we are one body. Christ died for all of us. That is sum bibadzo. We are being knit together by Christ who loves every one of us and says every one of you is needed and important and you all need each other. We are all being knit together in Christ who is the head. Eli, that was 40 minutes, not 50. I'm just letting you know. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Father, I thank you that you use words like this to meet us in our brokenness where we say, I am not needed or I am so important I am not going to participate or I don't need those people. And yet, over the course of this past year and these past few months through hardships and suffering, we have seen what a church that understands what it means to be knit together in love in Christ who is the head, why that is so critically important. And we give you praise and thanks for the work that you are doing in hope of Christ. Amen.